Hey everybody, this is Krista Stilwell, Communications Assistant at LFCN. Thanks for listening to the podcast. It's a glimpse into the life of our church. We are ordinary people being transformed into passionate followers of Jesus who join with God in the remaking of all things. We pray that what you hear is a blessing and helps you join God today. If our church can help you and serve you in any way, please drop us a line at 765-447-7655. Enjoy the sermon. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 4, if you want to grab your Bibles, 1 John chapter 4. And we are in a, still in a sermon series called One Another, where we're really talking about what it means to be the kind of community, the kind of people, together, that God would have us to be. You know, it's one thing for us to say of ourselves, I personally or I individually am going to do everything that I can to follow Jesus and to allow God's Spirit to remake my life. That's a really good thing, and if you're on that journey, we're incredibly thankful, and we want to encourage you and, uh, and name that and, 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 and persuade you to, to, to continue down that path. But it's a, it's a different thing to say, you know what, it's not just me, it's all of us together, and we have this opportunity together as a community to model the goodness and the grace and the love of God made known to us in Jesus. We want to talk about that, and we want to grow into that. So 1 John 4 will help us. I know you just sat down, but I really like it when we honor God's word by standing. So could you join with me even standing this morning for the reading of God's word? 1 John chapter 4, we're going to begin with verse 7, and we're going to read all the way through verse 21. This is the word of the Lord. Dear friends, let's love each other, because love is from God, and everyone who loves is born from God and knows God. The person who doesn't, the person who doesn't love does not know God, because God is love. And this is how the love of God is revealed to us. God has sent his only Son into the world so that we can live through him. This is love. It is not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as the sacrifice that deals with our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us this way, we also ought to love each other No one has ever seen God. If we love each other, God remains in us, and his love is made perfect in us. And this is how we know we remain in him and he remains in us, because he has given us a measure of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And if any of us confess that Jesus is God's Son, God remains in us and we remain in God. And we have known and we have believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And those who remain in love remain in God and God remains in them 
This is how love has been perfected in us so that we can have confidence on the judgment day because we are exactly the same as God is in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear expects punishment and the person who is afraid has not been made perfect in love. And we love because God first loved us. And those who say, I love God and hate their brothers and sisters are liars. After all, those who didn't love their brothers or sisters whom they have seen can hardly love God whom they have not seen. And this commandment we have from him, those who claim to love God ought to love their brother and sister also. This is God's word for us this morning. You can be seated. Some of you who are college basketball fans, you know very well um, the name of, of Duke University. You know all about Duke. Duke, yeah, boo, exactly, right? Um, incredible basketball program, kind of obnoxious. But before Duke ever had a basketball program, they were a, a really top-rate university with an incredible, an incredible school of theology. Duke is a United Methodist University, and Duke's School of Divinity is pretty world-renowned. They have a chapel on campus, and the dean of their chapel um, is always someone who is this incredible mixture of brilliant academically with incredible pastoral sensitivity. And so every, if you can imagine, every Sunday, this person stands up and preaches to a room full of scholars, brilliant, brilliant, world-class scholars, and students who are searching and struggling, but incredibly bright, or else they wouldn't have been accepted to Duke. And, and he has to be able to blend, or he or she has to be able to blend this in, this knowledge of the divine with this incredible ability to relate it to God's people. And this particular dean, his name is Luke Powery, and this is years ago, but he realized the chapel seemed to be losing its way with students. It wasn't relating to the student population. So he created this really academic thing. It's essentially research, but he called them listening sessions. And so he just started to meet with students, and he and he told them, I want you to speak freely and anonymously. I won't remember your names, but in my, in my old age, my memory is failing me, and so I need to record these conversations. So he pulled up, pulled up his iPhone, and he started to record the conversations so that later on he could remember the, the things that, that he was learning. And he said that as he did that, he came to four conclusions about what students said that they needed in order to grow closer to Jesus. And they surprised him with how simple they were. This was it. They needed a sense of, be- a sense of belonging. They needed to know they were valued as a person. They needed a place that was safe for the lost. And the thing that they said they needed the most and were struggling to find was love. Love. And he went on to share his conclusions. And he said, you know what? I think that if I would have 
asked any group of humans in the world, what do you need that will help your life to become the kind of life that God has always dreamed of? It's not like these students were special. Their responses weren't unique. He said, I think this is a baseline for all of humanity. We need a place of belonging. We need to know that we're valued as we are. We need to know that we are, that we are connected to a space that's safe for the big questions of life. The questions that people would label us as, if we ask them as lost or skeptical. We need somewhere where we can ask those and what we need the most, more than anything else, is love. Love, and a particular kind of love, because if you've ever wondered what does love really look like, First John spells it out in the text that we read so beautifully when he says this, God's love was revealed to us this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And in this is love, not that we loved first, but that he loved us first. And he sent his son to be the one who would deal with our sins. And so Jesus on his wooden deathbed that we call the cross, he didn't say a sinner's prayer in the final hours or in the closing seconds of his life. He said this, today you will be with me in paradise, because God's love is a suffering kind of love. And God was the one who loved first. Sometimes I think we think that in order to have a relationship with God, we have to make the first move. Never let yourself believe that. God was the one who, as Paul so beautifully said, while we were still sinning, God moved first. God loved us first, and he revealed his love for us in Jesus. And we didn't even ask for it. We didn't even ask for it. We didn't even know that we needed it. But God loved first, and God loved us anyhow. And the response from God is this, to a suffering and sinful people. Love. Love. That's the remedy. That's the antidote. Love. That is what will win in the end. It's not some mighty display of power or strength or financial might that will get this done. It's vulnerable and broken and pure and strong love. Love wins because love is God. And God is love. And we don't, as a people, create love. It's not like that's something that we conjure up. We don't create love because we didn't create God. God is the one who gives and breathes and gives this gift to us. And God's love seeks us out and makes that first move and comes to us and invites out to us, calls out to us, God is literally giving ahead of time, forgiving, giving us love before we ever knew that we needed it 
or we ever realized our need. And we might have doubts about this. Like you might be saying right now, this sounds way too good to be true. And if you do have doubts, that's completely okay. But I want you to know this. Even our doubts don't determine the action of God. How beautiful is that? Even in our doubts, God still loves. I mean, what if in order to receive the love of God, we had to perfectly believe? What if in order to receive the love of God, we had to have our actions perfectly aligned? What if in order for God to love us, for God to look at us and say, I'm going to make the first move towards them, there needed to be no speck of doubt in our minds. How lost would we be? How hopeless would life become? But even in the midst of our broken ways, our doubting thoughts, and our beliefs that don't quite line up, God makes that first move. And God's first move, church, is and will always be love. He loves you. He loves me. He loves us. In the highest moments of our life, he loves us. In the worst moments of our life, he loves us. He loves us so much that his love became sacrificial. He loves us so much that he sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice. Atone that means to make right. To make right the relationship. Because this is what's true of love. You know you love someone or you know you love something when you are literally willing to give your life for them. When you would choose for them to live and for you to die, that's the true measure of love. And you can probably right now in your mind think of the closest relationships in your life. Maybe your, your, hopefully your spouse, <laughs> your children, maybe some members of your extended family. And of those relationships, you could honestly and authentically say, I would die for them. And I would exchange my life for theirs. A stranger? Maybe if you're like really noble. Your enemy? Or someone who has hurt you? Someone who rejected you? Someone who did the worst things that have ever happened to you? It's hard for us as humans to imagine our response to that question being, yeah, I would exchange my life for theirs. But this is the beauty and the provocative power of God's love. He laid his life down for people who executed his. And as Martin Luther taught about this passage, he says of the passage of scripture that we just read, I love the way he phrases this, he said, it pictures Christ to us. It gives us a picture of who Jesus was. His dying was the strongest sign of his loving. And his love was a form of death for the purpose of life. God's love is sacrificial. It takes on the cross. And it's not like abstract. 
You know, sometimes we say of things, I love that thing. And that's kind of like an abstract kind of love. Sometimes we even say of people, oh yeah, I love her or I love him. And we don't even really have much of a relationship with them. Like maybe like we're commenting about like, like somebody else in, in our office place or we mention their name and someone will reply, I love them. Well, that's like a little bit abstract. Do they really love them? Maybe they dealt with them a couple times and they weren't a complete dope. And so they actually liked working with them. But they say of that person, oh man, I love them. Or if you had a good experience with some company in town and they returned your phone call in a time of need as opposed to not even answering the phone. And they actually showed up when they said they were going to show up. And you write a review on Yelp or on Facebook or on Google and you say, I love... I mean, that's kind of abstract, but not God's love. God's love is concrete. It's concrete. It's so concrete that it requires a specific person, Jesus. God revealed to the world once and for all who he is in the person of Jesus. And if you ever want to know what God is like, God is like Jesus, and Jesus is like God. And you can't ever think to yourself that God isn't like Jesus, because if you ever have a thought in your mind and you think that's like God, but it's not like Jesus, then it's not, it's not God at all, because God, God is like Jesus, and, and, and that's how it has always, always been. And so God's love comes to us, self-sacrificing, makes the first move. There's a really, really, really old movie. In fact, the, I didn't, the first time I ever became aware of this movie was uh, in a university setting where I had this professor, and the professor liked to talk about these big concepts like we're talking about today, but then he would assign us to watch these movies, and then we had to talk about or respond. I mean, this is such a, a college thing to do. We had to talk about or respond how the concepts that we talked about show up in this movie. And so this really old movie... It's called Dead Man Walking. Dead Man Walking. I mean, it's so, so old, but honestly, it's pretty good. And in that movie, Dead Man Walking, Matthew is on death row, and he's, he's there, and he deserves to be there. He's there because he killed a teenage couple. And during the time when he's on death row, this sister, Sister Helen, becomes his spiritual advisor. And near the end of his life, when he's about to be killed... This sister comes to him and says, I want the last face you see in this world to be the face of love. So when they are going to do that thing to you, you look at me. I'll be the face of love for you. When I'm saying that love is concrete, when I'm saying that love is specific, That's what I'm talking about. It requires a face. It's not a vague idea that just floats around about how we love something. We got to be looking at a face. It's not merely something that we kind of speculate about. It takes action in the world. The same way that God's love for us took action. God loves us so much. First John said that he sent Jesus to us 
So love has to be in person. And if love isn't in person, it's not love. Or it's not God's love. And Christians have this really kind of bad track record. So that's why people say sometimes, like, the church would be great. Like, I would love the church if it wasn't for Christians. I mean, I, the church would be awesome, but, but I, don't, I don't know about these Christians. And not to love is essentially, according to 1 John, us kind of like denying the reality of God's presence in our life. It's like God's love is the litmus test for us. It's where the rubber meets the road. It's what demonstrates what we really, really believe. And 1 John says it like this. Those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. And he's not talking about your family. He's talking about your church. In other words... How can I say that I love the Lord whom I've never ever seen before and forget to say that I love the one that I walk beside each and every day? How can I look at your face and ignore God's love? You I must embrace. You're my brother. You're my sister. And I love you with the love of the Lord. And I think in that passage that we just read, that might be the part that challenges us the most. The implication being that we can't say that we love God if we also don't love God's people. I mean, think about that. How is it that that can work? I mean, in our minds, what we want to say is, no, God is different than God's people. So I can say I love God. And I can say that I don't love God's people. Because they're not one and the same. But what the writer of 1 John is wanting us to understand is that the love that is present and makes up the being of God, that same love is present and makes up the being of God's people. And so for us to say, man, I, I really love God and I would give my life away for the sake of Jesus' mission in the world, but I... I struggle, and I don't know if I can love God's people. Essentially what we are saying, according to 1 John, so get, argue with the Bible, don't argue with me, but essentially what we are saying is, I'm a liar. I'm a liar. I don't really love God. Because if I really loved God, I would also love the people for whom God gave his life away. I'd love them as well. And isn't this the challenge of this particular letter? Because in our minds, we think to ourselves, okay, love God, I can, I can handle that. Like, I can do that. But love God's people? I, I don't know. That's more difficult. That's harder. That, that feels a whole lot more personal. But what... First John is teaching us is we can't make that break. We can't make that separation because the love of God and the love that God has for God's people is the same love and to not love one is to not is to not love the other. And so where are you in that? And where are you on that journey? How is God shaping your heart and remaking your heart? And 
if God is shaping your heart and remaking your heart, you are becoming more loving, not just of God, but you're becoming more loving of, of God's people. Mark Twain has this really good line. Mark Twain has this really good line. Mark Twain has so many good lines. Can I get an amen? But Mark Twain has this really good line that he says, love seems the swiftest, but it is the slowest of all growths. Love seems the swiftest, it's deceiving, but it's the slowest of all growths. And so to learn how to treat others as God has treated us, that takes a lifetime. It takes a lifetime to learn that. So we can't say, I love God, but hate God's people. And we can't say, I love God, and hate the people who practice their faith, the same faith, a little bit differently than us. And we can't say, I love God, and hate people who look differently than us, because God's love challenges us to love those who we would have considered to be our enemies. Because love is non-discriminatory and is extended even towards people like that. And that's a really good thing. It's hard for us to think about that. But that's a really good thing because, and this is the tough, the tough reality to preach, you and I, those of us who sit in this room this morning, we would never think this of ourselves. But at some point in time, someone in our life would have considered you and I their enemy. I mean, have you thought about that? Have you thought that at some point in your life, at some stage in your journey, or some action that you made, or some incident in a workplace, or some miscommunication, or, or maybe even, listen, you were flat out wrong, and, or I was flat out wrong, or you did something that you shouldn't have, at some point along the line, redeemed people of God, you, you were someone's enemy. And you weren't outside of God's love. And in that same way, that person today that you struggle the most with, or those people, or, or you, maybe you put a label over them, and that group that is so wrong, you might say of them, they're my enemy. And they're not outside of God's love either. So the challenge of 1 John for us is learning how to grow in love over the course of our lifetime where we can say with honesty and integrity, I love God. And the way that I demonstrate that is by loving God's people. I love God. And the way that I live that out is by living a life of love. I love God so much that I would lay my life down for God's mission in the world. And the way that everyone would be able to know that that's true of my life is because it's quite obvious. You can see it. I will lay my life down for people, for God's people in this world. And love 
that kind of love never stops and it always keeps growing within us, building and building and bubbling up out of our life so that when we find ourselves in a certain spot in our journey, our natural reaction when something happens to us is to recognize the pain. But our response to that pain is not retaliation. Our response is the same kind of love that was demonstrated by God sending his son to the place of his own death out of love, out of love. And so that the overflow The very nature of our heart's life, the very posture of our life has so been firmly rooted and established in the love of God that when whatever it is takes place, it hurts. Man, it hurts. It'll never stop hurting. It hurts. But our response to that hurt isn't one where we swell up. It's one where we love. We love. Now let's not, let's not be weak about this. Love is courageous and it's bold and it's strong. It's, it's not just chocolate-covered strawberries and, and, and like, like being run over like a doormat. It's, it's, the kind of, it's the kind of love that shows up at a temple, the holiest place in the whole earth, and throws some tables over, and drives some people out, and says, I love God so much, and I love this place so much that it's all broken, and it's all wrong. This was supposed to be for all people. You're driving. That's love. Love absorbs the pain, and it takes more strength not to retaliate in the midst of absorbing the pain. That's, that's strong. That's, that's not weak. So let's not call love weak, but let's also say, That when our heart and our life begins to be shaped and continues to be shaped by God's spirit and God takes more and more of our life, what ends up happening to us is we end up demonstrating how much we love God by the concrete way we love our brothers and sisters. Because as 1 John says, if we claim to love God, but we don't love God, God's people. We're a liar. We're a liar. What a strong word. We're a liar. It's not just that we're wrong. It would be one thing if he said of us, hey, that's wrong, course correct, let's change a few things, you know, Um, like uh, the, the, the parenting technique of like when your child is like self-destructing or whatever and you redirect them to something else so it's not like first john says to us hey man you're acting like a toddler let's redirect that would be one thing he calls us liars you're a liar if you claim to love god but you can't love you you're not demonstrating your love for god's people the people who are with you for an hour on Sunday and the people who are with you for hours during the work week and the people in your neighborhoods. You're a liar, he says. And how is it that that can be true? It's true because there's no difference between the God who we think is up here but who lowered himself by sending himself to join with all of humanity. 
for all time. How is it that we can be known as true lovers of God? It's as we love each other. And here's the really beautiful thing. And this is one of the really wonderful things about being a part of a church, about being part of one another. The really beautiful and wonderful thing is when you hear the stories and you see the testimonies of how it is that someone came to know in their life that God actually is love. And she's not here today, so I won't mind and I won't embarrass her, but I'll never forget uh, when a teenager named Susan Herman was, was baptized at our church and her mom was reading her testimony. And Susan, as a teenager, named by name the people of, in the life of the church who demonstrated the love of God for her. Just boom, boom, boom. From when she was a child until she had reached that stage in her life. And what was she teaching us? She was teaching us that the way that we know that God's love is real is because we see that love on full display in the lives of people around us. You know, First John says, we'll never see God. You know, we've never seen him. But that doesn't matter as much when we see the love of God lived out among God's people. How is it that we know that this God is love and that this God of love actually exists is because we've seen that God of love in a face. We've looked into the eyes of someone who has demonstrated, who has mirrored to us God's love in a person. And so Susan, as she was baptized, her baptism, her testimony was this beautiful story of God's love at work in you in a church. There's no greater way to encourage one another towards more and more love of God than by living a life of love for all to display so that somebody in some dark moment when they're wondering if the whole thing is real will have that memory. No, I saw God in you, in that person, at that moment. I know that that was real because I saw it. And I experienced it. And I mean, this is the joy that I have of looking at your faces as I'm preaching. I, I, I know the love of God because I see your face every Sunday. And there's never a question for me whether this whole thing is real. Not because the ideas make so much sense, but because I've seen that love in you. I've seen you living that life of love. How is it that we can continue to grow to become the people of love that God always dreamed we would be? It's as we love one another. It's as we love one another. Let's continue to grow in God's grace. Let's continue to grow in God's love. And may his love be known even more in our life as we learn how to love the faces around us.